Welcome to Crude. This crude discussion is all about getting your tubes tied, getting the snip, tubal ligation. Essentially, it's all about sterilization. Hi, I'm Effie, and I'm coming to you from London, where I'm so lucky to be joined in person by the most divine co-host, Elle. Hey, Elle. Hey, so happy to be here. I'm so glad you're here in London. Joining us, of course, in the Berlin studio, we've got Misty Malinga. Hi. Hi. And Frank. Hi. Hey. Hope we're all well today. I think we're all well. I think there's a few chesty, <laughs> chesty coughs and sniffles like oh, everybody God. else. I think it's me as well. It's been a tough couple of weeks, but it doesn't stop us from meeting up and talking about the important things in life. The toughest ones. <laughs> so uh, you may not know this, but half the crew team here with us have had our tubes tied. We've been sterilized. We've taken the plunge. And today we're going to talk a bit about that, a bit about our story. We might have someone else chime in. And we're also going to talk a bit about the history of sterilization. And we're, talk, we're going to talk about how it's changed the way people today can take agency of our bodies. Well, almost. We're going to talk a bit about the patriarchy as well. As usual, we may have someone here, like I said, here to join us and tell us about their experience. Can we guess who are the two out of four who have had it done? We, can we give them a hint? One of them didn't have a... Stu- yeah, okay, I gave it away. <laughs> Okay, I'm one of them. I'm 25%, but I didn't get my tubes tied. I got them snipped. Yeah, we're going to talk a bit about the procedure because it is very different. Not only is the procedure different for men versus women or those who present that way, but it's also talked about differently and the expectations and people's... We're going to talk a lot about what people have to say, what other people who haven't had the procedure have got to say about it, right? Basically, I'm the other one. Did I mention? <laughs> it's me. <laughs> and, Secret side. Yeah. I see that coming. <laughs> you know... Uh, it's been something that I've wanted for a long time, before I even knew that I wanted it. That's why I've got a lot to talk about it. I wonder if, like, Al, Misty, you are the other half who haven't had it done. But is it something you've th- thought about or something you've considered? Or not at all? I Elle? definitely thought about it. Yeah, I've thought about it for sure. I definitely don't want kids, so it seems like a logical thing to do. It's just the getting around to it bit. I think mm-hmm. allotting the time, and maybe you can both talk a little bit about what the procedures were like for you. Because yeah. I remember, Frank, you said that it was better than you feared, but worse than you'd hoped, which is a, <laughs> it, which I thought was interesting. And I know, Effie, for you, it's, it's obviously a much more um, intense operation. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, I've been wanting to do it for a while, but not enough to actually like go and, and I don't know. Also yeah. in Germany, I'm not sure how it is. I'd feel more comfortable doing it in the UK just because of, I don't know why. I just feel uh, maybe with the NHS and whatever, just more like, okay, I, I know my way around a bit better. Um, and it would be free. In Germany, I assume I would have to pay for it as I have to pay for birth control. Oh, really? That's a massive difference given that's actually quite I'm expensive. sure. I think it would be about, when I looked it up, it was about at least like 4,000, something like this. I'd have to I have to check that but in the UK it would be for free so that's a big difference as far as I know I think there's only five gynecologists or gynecologists and surgeons who will do the operation on women in Germany who haven't had kids under the age of 40 Mm. or it's just a handful if it's several so even if you are willing to pay the money it's very difficult to find someone who will actually do that and apparently it's the same in other some other continental European countries as well I'm going to talk to Anna a little bit later about her experiences in Belgium yeah I haven't I've not been thinking of getting it done because I do want kids actually six really if someone takes care of them six kids wow yeah I'm, I'm maybe a bit 
I mean, it's starting to date, so it's going to be difficult to time it before I'm heading 45. I just, I just need to get the money to, I don't know, pay people to take care of all of them. So you say you'd like to have six kids. I presume no one has ever called that into question when you say it to them, whereas for people, say, for you, Effie, have people questioned your decision to have that operation? Where do I begin with this? So, <laughs> yes, they question it a lot. And so I'm at the ripe old age of... Uh, well, okay, no, I will go back. I'll give you a bit of a clue. I got my tubes tied when I was 37. So by that point, I was well and truly much older than... old enough to be allowed to get it because I have no children. And I, I, I did have to plead my case, but not so much by the time I was 37 when I got it done. So I'd asked about it a few years before when I was like a bit younger, 35. And then finally when I was 37, they were like, oh, are you sure? As in, I'm talking about the, the doctors. But because of my older age, they allowed me to do it. But they did ask me this very interesting question. Is your family complete? That was one of the questions that they asked me. Is your family complete? And I was, qu quite frankly, did not know how to answer that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and there was, there was that, but I did end up doing it. My gynecologist practically said to me, well, you're nearly 40, so it's about being that age where you're no longer a viable candidate for giving birth. Or you've had kids. Or I've had them. So um, to be honest, I, I knew I didn't really want kids from when I was like 19, but I had a couple of boyfriends. I thought maybe I did. And um, I was inquiring about it because I was fed, well and truly fed up with contraceptive issues. That's one whole other story. But the second thing is for me personally, me getting my tubes tied or me stopping the ability of me to have children was more of a, of a bodily um, taking, taking ownership of my body and no longer being a vessel for a baby, baby making machine, you know, as a woman. Reproductive labor, yeah. Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> and for me, like that was so, so important because I'll be honest with you guys and everyone who's listening, I don't even really have that much penetrative sex, sex where people come inside me anyway. So for me, it's not like I'm not doing it so I can, so my boyfriend can like come inside me. No, it, I don't, I, it's because I just don't want to have that ability. Uh, so yeah, I, but because I had tried all the different, uh, sorry, all the different contraceptives, they were like, okay, well, she's tried everything. She can go ahead and do it. Now back to the initial, initial question about people questioning my reasons for doing it. People just don't know, they don't understand my reasons for doing it. Uh, they're very confused, people get confronted with the fact and part of me loves, that's the reason why I love telling people that I get it done. Because it kind of tickles me a bit when I see their kind of uncomfortableness. Mm. <laughs> not, not knowing what to say. I was talking to Anna earlier and I asked her some of the same questions. Where did you get the operation or the procedure? Where did you get it done and, and did you have to pay for it? I eventually had it done in Belgium. I did it through the healthcare system, but before that I had a bit of hassle getting it done, but then I didn't live in Belgium, so I don't know what it's like in Belgium as a whole, but in there it was just part of the healthcare system. I had my own, I paid 150 euros. In total it was roughly 1200, and then the majority, like the vast majority, got covered by my health insurance. I was very, very lucky to find a gynecologist that was willing to help me, um, mostly because I was over the age of 33 at the time, which really, really helped. And then she said that it's something I wanted to do and she would do it for me. There was a, like a, almost like a threshold age where if it's, I believe it was 33, where it was just easier to have it done 
as you would have mentally more security about the fact that you did not want to have children, something along those lines. So it was more about them trusting that whatever decision you were going to, you were making, it was something that you were comfortable with. Yeah, that, and I think it was also in combination with earlier times women would have children around 27, 28, 29, where 33 is already considered an old hag. So yeah. <laughs> and as an old hag, your decision was based on you not wanting to, not wanting to have kids. How do people around you react, friends or family, to your decision? I was mostly weirded out about, because uh, I was in a relationship at the time, uh, that when I would tell people, also when I was still in horrible, horrible pain, that the first reaction wasn't, hey, how are you feeling, how have you done? But the first reaction was often, uh, what does your boyfriend think about it? Which I th really? think is a bit weird, considering, well, we are together, so I think we've discussed this, and also essentially it's still my body and not his. And how is this? This must have been quite difficult for you. Were you living, were you living in a big city or was it a town at the time? Or? For Belgian standards, it's a big city, but uh, it was in Antwerp. How is it in Berlin when you talk to people about it? I think most people don't realize I have it done because it's also not something that I like. It's not the first thing that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> but I mean, considering I'm now 40, people just assume that that's what I wanted anyway. So it's not questioned as often. And I know more people my age that or roughly my age that don't have them. You don't have kids? Yeah, more than in any smaller city or... And do you find like some of your friends who decided not to have kids? The most I've gotten was people that either are a bit indifferent about it or women that ask me how, when, why, then being judged about having it done. But that's also, I think it also comes with age because people don't expect me to have any anymore. So then it's much less of a, oh wow, thing. I mean, <laughs> if I was 31, it would have been, oh, but you still have eight good years to go. All right, so yeah, that's super interesting that um, a lot of people were asking you what does your boyfriend think about it or how did your, what did your boyfriend think about it, which is wild to me. For me, considering I don't have a boyfriend or a husband or anything like that, I want to say 80%, I'm just throwing statistics around, but like 80% of people who uh, answer me after I tell them I've had my tubes tied, the first thing they say to me is, oh, is it reversible? And it blows my mind how many people, like wide range of different people that I tell, um, that's the first thing that comes to their mind. But it's just because people are afraid of making decisions in their life that they can't take back, isn't it? It's just closing doors. They don't want closing doors, yeah. They don't want to believe that I would make sense. So you do that about so many other things, right? Like there's so many other things, okay, I, I'm gonna, you know, make this career choice or I'm gonna decide this thing for my life and the idea that I think especially for women to close the door of having children because it's seen as so fundamental to your identity as a woman and that your womb is like you know a baby making machine right um exactly so I think like it's I think it's very powerful I guess I think both of these things can be very powerful to be like fuck it I'm having kids especially when sometimes you know if you're a single just mom. being like i'm having six kids yeah <laughs> and i'm doing this on whatever in whatever situation but i think that that's powerful but then also being like no i'm not i'm like closing this door and i'm i'm not gonna fulfill that role i imagine it's very different from maybe what what you have experienced frank with your do you feel like you get people questioning your decision or not really and uh, not at all i like i get asked very different things to what you guys have been explaining and what anna was saying which is quite weird. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about this, obviously coming up to the episode, and nobody has asked me if it's reversible or how was it, apart from so gay 
or by friends of mine were very curious about the operation, about the details, about the effects, about how orgasms were afterwards. Any of my straight friends had no interest apart from, did it hurt? Are you okay? Now I have to, I have kids, I have three kids, or I had four kids and now three kids. So this wasn't a problem when I was going to get the operation. Vasectomies are reversible, but you do have to pay for it then. It costs 20 times more than the original operation costs and it's also not guaranteed. People aren't going to reverse this operation really. It's not really something people are going to do, but it's still not a question that I've been asked. Nobody really cares because I presume it's because nobody thinks it's tied up with my identity or with their identity of, of having kids. And also I think the fact that you already have kids makes a huge difference. So out of curiosity actually, Afi, when the, when the doctor asked you, is your family complete? Which is a <laughs> puzzling, slightly irritating question, but um, what did you say? Yeah, so I, at first I was taken aback, obviously, because I didn't expect that question. But what I said was, um, yeah, I, I guess so, because I don't have, like, I don't have a partner. I'm a single, and I don't have kids. Now she, she got after that, she got quite perky. She had misheard me. She thought I said yes, I have kids. So many people uh, think about success as having a family and a partner and a house and a career, and kids are in there. So if I go ahead and do this procedure. Am I cutting my chances of leading a successful life? And I think that's what she was trying to, this is the GP, um, was trying to ask me. But I'll tell you something, there's been two times in my life that I have sm been so overwhelmed with happiness and I know I've made the right choice. One of them was when I got to the airport, uh, when I left the airport to come to London, when I knew I was making the right choice. And the second time was when I left that gynecologist appointment when he had agreed to set up the, the sterilization appointment. And they're two times in my life. So I knew in my heart of hearts that I was making the right choice. But each and every time I tell someone and they give me this, are you sure? Is it reversible? They're trying to chip away at that. But I am very content in mine. But if I was a lesser, if I was less convinced or if I had some reservations about it and every time someone talked to me about it and asked me that question, it, would, it could potentially eat away at me. I think it's quite unfair. When I was doing research for, for today, I saw that actually it's becoming, in the US apparently, really a thing um, for uh, young women on TikTok around the age of 25 who had it done to throw like sterilization celebration parties. And all of them, you know, seemed pretty, normally they had a couple of years of preparation and being quite sure. Then, you know, the discussions with the doctors to go through. So I think you're right, you are being probed all the time and that's not fair but if you just look at the at the women taking the decision normally they're just sure they're just fine yeah they did a keyhole surgery which is the same surgery that women do or you know people with wombs and the reproductive system female reproductive system um, where they put a needle in your gut in your stomach you know the area your abdomen and they make it bigger than they do what they need to do they use that operation also to take out endometriosis um, and things like that. So you go in, you get a procedure, they, they, they didn't actually snip my tubes or tie them, they just put a clip. They clipped my tubes on either side and then there was like a tiny scar, which I love to show people and I love to touch it because I'm very proud of it. <laughs> a little scar um, at my like pubic area, my, above my pussy. And then I'm in a lot of pain, lots of bruising, lots of bleeding, two weeks or more. Um, and it is not a light procedure. Uh, it's heavy. Um, so why would, like, I mean, maybe some people can do that, but I just, why would I get that reversed? What, like, why? This is my question, yeah. Yeah, and it's also just this kind of not 
listening to what women say about their own bodies. I think given that we were talking a little bit about this before, like the history of sterilization is like on the one hand, you have all of these obstacles put in place, questioning your decision and also after the fact. And yet all of the like procedures around female sterilization were very much developed as part of eugenics in the early late I guess late 19th early 20th century which was really I'd known some of that but when I was reading a little bit about it for the episode for this episode I was really shocked by the extent of it you know while on the one hand you're questioned so much about your decisions about about your body and your reproductive labor throughout history there's been so much forced sterilization especially of women of color and marginalized communities and um, and women with disabilities. Because I was reading about how a lot of the history of sterilization is so intertwined with eugenics. And I don't know if you guys remember, I think it was 2020, there was this these accusations, this whistleblower report from Georgia where women in ICE custody were reporting having hysterectomies. Do you guys remember this? Yes, I do. Um, yeah, there was these stories that were coming out. Um, There's a big report. I think it was, I mean, it was in all of the like major new, news outlets in 2020. And basically women who had been in custody sometimes for years were going in for other procedures. There was, I think, a woman who had a cyst. And then she was told then that, that her fallopian tubes had been removed. And mm-hmm. she was like, I never consented to this procedure. And so people were finding out way after the fact. Do you think that they were doing that to prevent them from giving birth? No, I think it's to, I mean, maybe, but I think the wider thing is just to prevent parts of the population from reproducing, right? So whether it's... the eugenics thing. Yeah, so whether it's Latina, and there was in the 1960s really widespread forced sterilization of Latina women in LA, of black women also, and also interestingly around the time when Roe v. Wade was passed in 1973. So you have this big moment for women's reproductive rights, and then at the same time you have women being sterilized without their consent or knowledge. Yeah. So another, yeah, one of the shocking facts that I read was that between the 30s and the 70s, nearly a third of the women in Puerto Rico, which is a U.S. territory, were coerced into sterilization. And they were told that that Puerto Rico's economy would benefit from a reduced population. And this was often the the kind of either people were coerced into it or it was just done without their knowledge. And in California, this was a really big, really common thing. And apparently Hitler wrote that, uh, quote, there is today one state in which at least weak beginnings toward a better conception of citizenship are noticeable. Of course, it is not our German Republic, but the United States. Hang on. So were they using it as to prevent uh, people of color reproducing? Was it a torture thing? Yeah. Like no, it's to prevent reproduction yeah. to kind of influence the genetic makeup of mm. a future society. Unreal. So Native American women were also targeted. Well, in Germany in the 30s, it even came out to homeless people or alcoholics. Yeah, asocial, they were called, yeah. In Australia, they did the you know, stolen generation where they would take children away from the Aboriginal families and perhaps there was some forced sterilization done there but i mean there was i was i was shocked to read actually that you know in california in the 1910s and 20s there was this this act of legislation the asexualization act which again was like mainly applied to women of color black and mexican women based on that they were sterilized the reason back to the question of is it reversible it could be that the fact that it's not as it's not meant to be reversible it's not easy to get reversible. It's supposed to be a permanent birth control. Is is because of the fact that they used to do it and not make it easy for these women who were forced sterilized to go back and, mm. and that could play a part in why it's not uh, easy to be reversible now. I did read that that was a reason because 
going from this where basically like each state had its had its uh, kind of eugenics board at the mm -hmm. beginning of the 20th century. I'm talking about the U.S. now. And then in an effort to kind of counter that, apparently, then there are these mandatory, all of these sort of steps put in place that make it harder to do it. But then then what happens is that low, women who, who have lower income then find it harder to get sterilized if they want to. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's sort of wait, like, wait, what's the what's the causal link there? So, because then if you're on private insurance, you can get sterilized probably straight away. But if you're on Medicaid or you don't have access to like, you know, health insurance, then it's more difficult. Obviously, if you don't have access to health insurance, it's hard yeah. to, you know, you can't get sterilized. But it puts a lot of barriers, which it's, you know, maybe some of that was about, okay, we now we have to put all these systems in place. But then it's actually not been done in a way that gives women more agency over what they actually want. And it's again, it's just a simple thing, which would be listening to women, women about <laughs> what they want. The only thing is that, that I've read something that would kind of contradict that, namely that in like in India and China and also actually upcoming in the US, sterilization is more used um, as a you know permanent means of contraception because it's kind of easier to organize one you know, one meeting with the doctor where you do something that's permanent then getting a prescription for the pill or something that has to be renewed regularly if you're poor. So that in India, actually, we have numbers now where 30% of the women are being sterilized because that's the main way of just make, making sure that after you had a couple of kids, actually, and much less kids than it used to be because it's really insensitized by the government to get sterilized uh, for women. Is it to reduce population numbers so that's more of like a government thing in, the, in that article that i read basically that sterilization has become the the main means of contraception for the economically disprivileged but then that's also problematic because then you're kind of pushing this on people who you know are lower income i think anytime you approach things just from a just from a standpoint of population control like women end up getting fucked over yeah You know, whether it's like a one child policy or 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 this idea, which is where, you know, midwives first started being really closely regulated back in, I don't know, the 15 or 1600s, that it's all then it was the the whole philosophy in Europe was that you had to get a, have a big population in order to be a strong state. Right. So then it's like, okay, per, you know, bans on midwives bans on contraceptives, like erase witch trials, erase all of this like herbal knowledge that women have. So I think anytime that there's this top-down approach based on like population size, it then goes into like, who is the ideal population? And then it becomes very, very problematic. No, for sure. Because apparently now there's like, you have like basically mass sterilization centers in India, where in recent years, definitely ever like since um, from 2019 on, you had demonstrations because there were so many infections and complications after these operations that women were dying in these, in these centers, even though they were heav heavily subsidized by the government because they want more and more women to uh, be sterilized. That has not much to do with free you know taking agency over your body or whatever it's I, i don't know normally they're not even they're not being properly informed about about the consequences about the procedure uh, about the fact whether it's reversible or not apparently which is i think what's an interesting point coming through all of these all of these discussions from various aspects including from anna and effie a little bit earlier is that it seems to be the link is autonomy either ignoring women's autonomy forcing other ideas or certain types of real politic or population control 
toe being played out in women's bodies. Because when you consider this example from India, and I, ha- I haven't read this article, Joe would actually love to read. Maybe we can stick it in the show notes. Because the operation for men, from my own experience and from people I know have done it, I was there for 20 minutes. It was a local anaesthetic, came in in the morning, went home. I could work pretty much that day from a laptop. If you're doing some kind of physical job, you can't. Um, Two weeks after it, you can start doing physical. You can start doing sports again. Like no sex for two weeks, no sports for two weeks. It really wasn't such a huge deal for me. Now I do have a desk job. So it would make you wonder why, if you wanted to really control the population and reduce it down, why not force sterilize men like let's let's ignore the example of germany in the 1930s but look to some of these other examples north america canada us australia why not sterilize men it seems men aren't being put in this equation it would be a cheaper operation it would be an easier way to 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 manipulate the population however it seems to be that the the target was the bully target was the soft target and i'm doing scare quotes now the soft target was women yeah you know what the answer is to all of these questions it's called the patriarchy i think it's pre- it's pretty simple on that one <laughs> because of her like in india it's not even discussed and Apparently, there have been like public statements that you can't put this on a man because it may take, you know, reduce the masculinity. And a family planning just is considered to be a, a women's thing. So they take responsibility of how many children they're going to be in the family. This reminds me of, so there's two reasons I got a vasectomy and Effie might laugh. So one of them was I was visiting my dad in Ireland. He's in his 70s. He has some kids from a second marriage and he was walking around in his early 70s with these large overgrown teenagers giving him abuse because they he wasn't going to cook the dinner they wanted to eat and he, he wasn't washing their clothes well enough. And I thought, no way, I am not having teenage kids and it was a few days later I was in London and I met Effie we were going to go to the theatre and we had a bit of a liquid lunch so we started getting pretty hammered on a really uncomfortable table and chairs out in the middle of the street Effie was telling me about her operation I said oh and she said why don't you get it done well a urologist told me there's certain risks and there's a certain percentage or percentage of cases where there's some kind of discomfort and Effie was like what you fucking man we, we, we take all of these risks, we take the pill, we mess with our hormones, we mess with our bodies, we do these operations, and you're talking about some abstract risk? Like, get the fucking thing done, get the operation. And I had nothing to say. I was sitting there staring into my Aperol spritz thinking, shit, I'm, I'm going to do it. And the first thing I did when I got back to Berlin, I, I called a neurologist. I was no, like, well done for doing it. Yeah, proud of I you. think it's really sexy whenever a guy tells me he's either like infertile or... Uh, <laughs> or has gotten the procedure I'm just like mm. like I hate it when you're fucking some guy and he's like you know had, made loads of women pregnant whatever like I just feel like I'm playing with fire yeah. and it's just I don't know and then when someone tells me like yeah my sperm are really dumb or they've gotten a vasectomy I'm just like oh like it's very for me it's an aphrodisiac I think it's hot as well yeah, but that, really that's hot. so funny because I remember I was seeing this dude uh, ages ago and it was clear to me that he had some kind of impregnancy fetish like, you know, he would always talk about wanting to come inside me and, you know, have me have, but he, well, I mean, we never had unprotected sex, but that was like part of his like dirty talk. And I was like, mm. and um, he wanted to know how many kids I wanted and all of that. And then I mentioned to him, I was thinking about getting my tubes tied. And he's like, if you, and he said to me, if you get it done, don't you dare tell me. Don't you let me know. <laughs> like he didn't want me to burst his bubble. <laughs> like, so that so he, funny. Yeah, he wanted to continue living that fantasy of me yeah. potentially because yeah. some some men are like that they're like oh yeah like i could yeah. make a baby in one night yeah you know and you're just like Ugh. but so it is i guess the fertility thing 
is tied for some people to this like conception of sex, but it's been so far removed for us or for me. This is like actually a friend of mine showed me a video of like a, you know, a, she calls herself like a conservative feminist um, who's against all forms of contraception because she thinks that basically the mystery and the naughtiness of sex comes from the risk you're playing with. So that she's like, she actually, she has a long podcast on YouTube somewhere where she says, well, I, I I'm telling you that if you give people back the risk of, you know, having babies or, you know, being pregnant after sex or having a kid, you will see that basically BDSM is going to disappear because people don't need to bring, don't need to bring external pain and torture into the sex once you give them the real, the real natural risk. <laughs> I do think that I do think about that. In I'm some, obsessed I mean, with that. Yeah, I kind of love. It. I I do think about that sometimes. It's like when I've had situations where I am really like genuinely a bit frightened or, gen or all of these things. Like you, you are like, oh wow, it's very. It's like Savoy Zizek has this thing, right? We keep coming back to him, where he's like, <laughs> he like hates decaf coffee and sugar-free chocolate. You know, they're like this extreme of sort of wanting to like indulge but without the effects. Like no seco. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and maybe, maybe that's, yeah, there's something to be said for that. I don't know. Just if we just go around like raw dogging, our lives are going to be <laughs> so much sexier. I was just thinking about this whole thing about, um, being child free. It's a, also a philosophy. There's, um, one of the biggest communities on uh, Reddit is called child free. It's a child free Reddit mm. and it has one and a half million members. And when you go on the Reddit feed, it basically has a people talking about scripts that you can have when you go to a family barbecue and what you can say and people are like, oh, when wow. are you going to have kids? And um, they just share stories with each other and experiences and getting, that's where I got a lot of my information about when I was getting my procedure done. For Do they feel like it's a proper, I don't know, an, a proper act of rebellion to wanting to lead like a, like a child-free life? It's, it's interesting because I do call it child-free and not childless for a mm. reason. So that's like a big kind of like semantics thing. And it's really for people who don't want children, who don't have children, whether it's biological, adopted or otherwise. And it's, 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 it could be, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot to say about an act of rebellion, um, but it could also just be that it's something that it's just not, they just can't do. They just can't, they, don't, they can't be maternal or paternal, or they would feel like they would be false. Perhaps I'm talking for myself, like I would be faking it oh if God, I was there yeah. trying to be a mum. Like I would it's hate like, my child. It's like me trying to fake <laughs> being in a relationship, trying to be a girlfriend. It would be me faking it. Like I, I tried a couple of times and I just felt like weird. So if I went ahead and had a kid, I'd be like kind of faking it as a big, it's a big thing. The only thing is, of course, you have all these philosophers, for example, who into this, you know, whole literature on transformative experience, who say the one problem is with, you know, having a kid and, you know, having a kid is it's something you've no compar you have no comparison on. Like, you just don't know how it will change you. Yeah, but I've, oh, oh, yes. I've like, because I also really vocally don't want to have kids, then many women have told me, like, oh, yeah. Actually, I, one uh, friend was like, oh, yeah, that, you know, I, I had a kid because I was curious because I heard it was this like love that I would never experience elsewhere. And she was like, no, I don't think that's true. And then another friend of mine was like, yeah, I felt I feel very more protective over this 
being, but I don't feel like it's this. I mean, for some people, maybe it is this experience of love that completely changes you. Sure. But I think like another friend was like, yeah, people talk about that, but they don't talk about like the, you know, exhausted women after like decades of or years of child rearing. No, actually, I, I think actually it's totally coming. Um, a friend of mine told me that there's like basically pretty much a new movement about re regret about motherhood and that you can see that popping up everywhere. And actually just this weekend, I was talking to a friend who's you know pregnant now with her second child and her first child is three. And she told me if anything had happened to my daughter within her first 10 months, I'm telling you, I would not have had a you know, second child. I was so miserable. She was not giving me anything back. My nipples were sore from the breastfeeding. My whole family was pressuring me about breastfeeding more. And basically I was suffering from postnatal depression and it was, I did not basically out of a pain reaction, she did not want to be close to her child for you know quite some months. And she was like, in a way it would have been a relief. You know, still it would have been a trauma, but still I would not have done it again. Only now, since this you know child has a personality and is fun and is you know is fun to interact with, she's like I was I was ready of having a second one actually. I have a firm belief that many new parents believe have this feeling, but they would never ever vocalize it. It is something that's only coming up now with this age of podcasts and like being um, you can go on Facebook groups anonymously and, and and talk about these feelings of resentment towards your children, but. It probably has been happening for the longest time, but well, who's going to talk about it? There's also some evolutionary reason behind it too, right? Mm. Like some animals eat their babies. Ah. And I think that's, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I mean. just, just to be clear, we are not advocating that people eat their children, even if you do regret it. I did read this book. I think it was called like Bitch. It was a feminist history of a biology. And they were talking about sometimes the animals that do this, but then also use Like there is this impulse to like hate your children yeah. that maybe is all, can also be biologically explained. But I mean, let's remember that, I mean, this can be argued, but people love to have children to be an, an image of themselves as an ego thing. You know, there's a lot of conversations about that as well. And if their child pisses them up from the beginning and it is not the perfect angel that the cherub that they wanted them to be, of course they're gonna feel this way. So a lot of people do have children you know, to see if they can feel love for, love for the first time. And this thing that we <laughs> talked about before about, oh, maybe I'll change my mind if I do have a child. But I, I have a strong suspicion that people want to have children, some people want to have children, to have a child that will, you know, reflect well on them. Again, about the success, life success journey that they're on. And sure, I totally get it. So you think it's like, you think it's like, oh, what a... I mean, one thing, and I think you're totally right about that, is like, what does it mean to have a successful adult life? And uh, according to many people, kids are part of that conception. So when you say that some people want to have kids to have, you know, an image of themselves, something that reflects well back on them, is this literally about, I don't know, I want to, I want to see my genes reproduced, or I want to see my best qualities reproduced? Or I had a boyfriend in the past that told that told me that he didn't care who, who he impregnated as long as someone had their, that had his child to carry on his quote unquote legacy. <laughs> I, think you're laughing you know. I think that's how spiders and bees think. And I should have seen that as a red flag, obviously. But anyway, you know, when he dies, he's got someone. You know, you know what I'm saying here. And it kind air. of in air, but I'm thinking, for what legacy, babe? What, show me. Show you me something. Have anything worth passing on. Nothing on. But pe even people who do have, you know, sometimes that's their reason why they want to have kids. I mean, I'm thinking about... I, don't, I mean, I don't think anyone is saying don't have kids. Like, no, it's no, just, no, we're it's not saying that at all. It's just interesting know. 
why, but then why people want to ask those who would decide to go um, child-free, like if you look at this Reddit, um, there'll be lo- you know, lots of strategies on what to say. Yeah, why like, that's still so necessary yeah, to justify. Like, I do I have compassion for people who ask those questions because that was probably me about 15, 20 years ago, would have thought these thoughts because it's just this how we're conditioned to think that like this is the natural progression of life. I can't I don't see any successful examples of people leading this life. People have a lot of pity for people who decide to do this and so I get it. It just still boggles me and like I said, I get a bit of a thrill like hearing it and talking about it and talking about it today on the podcast has been really exciting for me so thank you for letting me indulge just maybe to go back just to give Anna uh, a word on this because when I was talking to her earlier I also asked her why she thought there was still such as a stigma attached to to women choosing not to have children and choosing to be sterilized so Anna what are your feelings about this now I genuinely think that it's still ingrained in everybody's brains including the most open-minded you name it person that a women's job is to be at home and be a mom to a point where that's the only thing that will make you truly fulfilled and i still think that's like in the even in women's heads that's a thing whilst i think i honestly got to think a lot of women that have kids i'm sure they love them and are good moms but realistically kind of got them because that's just ingrained in your brain that that's the way life is going same as in like oh i've got a partner now next step is marriage where you're like why you don't have to do these things i think it's something similar to that did you ever i know it's, a, it's an awful question i'm just i'm very curious because we it's it happened years ago but have there been moments when you thought oh why did i do it or why not or is it this has always been the right decision nope this is i came out of my mom not wanting to to have a kid like i've never in my life i didn't even like dolls like i'd never ever even had the cons- i think when i was around 16 and someone's like oh when i get married and i get older and have a kid I think it was around 60 when I realized like, oh, having a kid is an op. Like I never thought that of that as a natural thing to do ever. Yeah, so Anna was pretty much agreeing, I think with what you guys were all just saying. I think it doesn't matter if, you know, it, we're, we're not gonna settle any debate about whether it's right or wrong to have kids or whether people are truly happy with kids. It says more about the people asking those questions of people who choose not to have kids about their own position and their own feelings. Like why is it women who choose not to are the ones who are judged about their life choices. Yeah, I think it speaks to how it's still, even with all of these kind of like, um, quote unquote, like advances around women working, there's still this double standard of like, women are then supposed to sort of have this double burden of like, they're still, you're still expected to fulfill your role. Yes. Um, in doing this reproductive labor. And still when you decide to say, no, I'm not doing that. It, it, and I know that from telling my parents, um, more my dad than my mom, that I, that I wanted to get sterilized. There was this big reaction. Mm. Um, what happened? Um, he was just like, no, don't do that. Um, and very, but like very strongly. And he's, not, he's never pressured me to have kids. He's never... Um, at all and I don't think I don't genuinely don't think we'll be upset if I just don't do it but the idea that I would kind of like shut that door was so surprised to hear that because it's like you know you you can even the people who think you've got the best minds and they they've always been allowing not allowing but being so cool about all your life decisions but then for you to say that one thing about wanting to get that tiny procedure just to close the door to you having kids with a strong reaction yeah. yeah, it just goes to show that people are just 
they're not ready people are not ready to hear these things particularly from women i have to say i wonder i mean this is uh, i don't have the evidence to back this up i was surprised when i lived in the uk i found that people had much more conventional ideas about you know what the natural cause of relationships and um a successful life is than at least in my, I, I don't know, in my family in Berlin. And I'm even thinking of my aunt and my uncle who are in their 70s now and who came in Berlin in the 70s. And most of their friends, they don't have kids. Um, my aunt was always afraid of having kids and, you know, decided early on she didn't want to have a family life. And uh, they have plenty of friends and none of them have kids. And it was completely normalized. It's a rarity here. It's a rarity to have a whole group of friends who don't have mm. family and kids. For sure, mm. right? I think so. I don't know. It depends. I guess it depends. But I think it would be that you're maybe not in London around certain people. But I think in general, yeah. Mm. And in the States, definitely, there's this idea that of how relationships and life is all supposed to. That's, I think it's even more like formulaic, set in stone, this sort of like marriage, kids, whatever. But my mom also has a lot of friends who d didn't have kids. I don't know, maybe it's one of those things where like the 70s was also this like <laughs> far ahead moment of where we are now in some ways. Completely. I was thinking that how we just gone back to the time before a certain kind of emancipation where it was just, you know, clear that many women would decide to have a life without kids that just gives you, you know, never have give up on certain ways of uh, of adult freedom. But I have to say in the sex party scene as well, I find there's, I'd say 70% of the women who I meet there have very clear views of not having kids. They just want to, they want to have free sexual lives, long nights, and they don't want to give up on these freedoms. Definitely most, most of the guys, there's definitely not, it's not a big kiddie, it's not a big scene with lots of people with kids. But just back to the, the 70s point, I think wasn't one of the points back then is uh, women had to choose. So you didn't have this weird fudge of, well, there is childcare and you can try and do everything. You can try and do both. Nightmare, you know, so it's maybe there's more pressure on women now no. to try and do everything mm -hmm. rather yeah. than back then saying, here's your choice. You know, you've got your career or you've got kids. Bang, take one or the other. Yeah. And I guess that goes with one of the others also, whether you decide to be like, because if you, if you choose your husband as a woman and he does want kids, you know, it's mm -hmm. hard, it'll be hard to find a husband that wouldn't, that you both mean, agree. I think, there's a, I think there's different dynamics here because I definitely think in the 70s, if people were getting married it could also it's more feasible for it to be like a one parent working home right than it would be now like now this oh, would be unheard of living. so i mean maybe there were but i just think there were generally like second wave feminism generally did have these much more radical moments like there was the whole wages for housework movement which is this very reproductive labor that's the work that's required for future generations should be paid. Um, I think this came out of Italy, but then was a big thing in the UK and also had overlaps with like sex worker organizing. The women were like, we want to be paid, like all of this power or all of this like work that we're doing. I guess it's this kind of Marxist feminist thing, right? Of, of reproducing the next generation of workers should be compensated. Um, and obviously that didn't La, like that was a kind of particular moment that that then there's all sorts of cultural ideas that would that would stand very much against women being paid for housework. But but I, I often f read these things about the 70s and I'm like, oh, <laughs> don't don't you wish you were back there? Yeah. Um, if you want, uh, well, the thing is why I was mentioning why I was mentioning about the partner is that every bit of information that I, when I was reading up on getting my sterilization done, it's almost like every second paragraph was something about before having the procedure, please make sure that you and your partner have both agreed that, you know, you don't want a child in the future. And they would keep bringing up and you and your partner, you and your partner. And they're just really like honing in on, on that. I guess it just goes back to the point about autonomy. 
the, the assumption is, I think, it is assuming it's something to do with contraception. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and I said at the beginning of the podcast that I actually didn't do it for contraceptive reasons. And people are maybe shocked. And so sometimes I'm a bit worried that I'm, if I'm about to have sex with a, with a partner with a cock who could fuck me vaginally. <laughs> Here we go. Piv. Piv. Give me a bit of piv. Um, I'd be worried that if I had mentioned that I, did, that I got my tube side, that they would think that that meant that I would want them to fuck me raw. You know, as much as I would love that. But like, no, that's not the reason. And I actually mm. don't think I have had any unprotected piv sex, penis and vagina sex. I feel like that's something that would really worry me about like that's why I kind of like not being on the pill because then it's just like you it just keeps to. me from raw dogging anyone I mean when I'm in a relationship it's fine <laughs> but uh when I'm not it's Feels just good. like Feels difficult good. to be like no don't do it so mm. I feel like being not on any birth control mm. is an incentive to you're safeguarding yourself it's an incentive for what for, for getting serialized right no. no I mean because when I'm I'm so scared of getting pregnant that when I'm not on the pill I'm less likely to just raw dog someone yeah but if I'm on the pill and I'm not if I'm in a relationship it's fine because then I feel that like allegiance to the person and I'm careful because that does it but then if I'm not it's very easy for me to be like oh no but this time will probably be fine yeah but this especially if it's with someone I'm really into so I think maybe having the like I could get pregnant is actually a good tempering factor for me yeah I mean in a way that's your contraceptive just the mere idea of potentially getting pregnant is yeah But then that could also, anyway, I mean, that's, that. yeah, we can do a sterilization part two, but I have a quick thing I was about to say, because I know a lot of people might have this question for someone who's had their tubes tied as a person with a womb, like me. I do get my period. So the sterilization procedure that I had, which is a tubal ligation, doesn't get rid of anything, doesn't change the hormones. It simply stops the egg. The egg still gets released, but it just doesn't make its way all the way down. It just gets in- integrated or disintegrated. But if the egg doesn't come down and like, you know, bleeds out, like, is it? Still comes down. It just doesn't make its way all the way down. So I still get my period and I get it bloody heavy. What I'm saying is that my hormones have not changed at all. All it, all it has done is stopped the egg from meeting its um, sperm. So my therapist has talked to me about this other procedure, which now, I think it's called an ablation, which is a procedure that will just take out all the insides and that will stop me from getting the period. I'll be honest, I don't care about the period. I wanted to ask you just quickly, so would you just like wholeheartedly recommend the procedure? It's a hard one to answer because I, would, I wouldn't recommend the procedure unless you were like me and you knew 100% that you didn't want kids. Because even though it's a form of contraceptive, um, there are other ways to, you know, to, to use contraceptive and not have kids. But secondly, if you if you want it done purely for the fact that you're done with going going on birth control, you're sick of this situation. Like I'm talking from my experience, of just because I'm a woman, I have to jump through hoops to regulate my body and my and and go on. I had to go on all these different contraceptives. It was a massive journey. I was ups and downs, and it was awful. And so getting the procedure for me is another step towards freedom. And I'm talking about bodily freedom, freedom of the role that has been put placed upon me as a woman in this world to be a future mother or something like that. You said before, and I thought that was super interesting, that for you is mainly for removing this ability you've been given by your body that you didn't you know, decide on having. Yes. And it, it wasn't about the contraceptive purpose of it. No, but I did mention about the pill. 
Yeah. And, I, and the reason I was on the pill was because I do have a lot of sex and I do have a lot of piv sex and I am not against abortion. I've had an abortion and having an abortion would not be the last thing. But I'd rather not have the ability to get pregnant in the first place for me to have to then go get an abortion. Does that make sense? I guess it's a, there's a multitude of elements here in regards to why I got it done. And yeah, one of them is for contraceptive and I was on the pill um, because I didn't want to get pregnant, but I was also on it because I have polycystic ovaries. And so it's all, it was all because I was ma managing my hormones. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why I got it, but mostly because of my, my, my search for freedom and my inability to have children helps me to be a better version of myself. So just quickly, what kind of ovaries did you have? Polycystic ovaries, which means I've got like 20 to 30 cysts in each of my ovaries and it kind of wax, gives them out of whack to my hormones, which means I get additional hair, pimples. I went through this whole big uh, acne situation, which then I went on Accutane, which solved that. But uh, I've been on a bloody fucking journey. And um, the procedure and how you felt physically in itself w was fine. Well, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I had to go in. I was in there all day. Um, I was in quite a lot of pain after the procedure. Like it really, really hurt. They gave me morphine. And I tell you what, I don't know if it's because I do loads of drugs and different types of drugs, but the morphine just did not work. <laughs> I was and just like Frank said, I wasn't allowed to have sex for two weeks but I got it done on the 20th of December and then the 31st of December was New Year's Eve and I actually went to a sex party and I just went there to chill but I ended up having sex and I was in a bit of pain after that <laughs> just because I was still not fully healed so there's a lot of bruising and that but once that was done it's fine and the mm. scar is so small it's so cute I'd love to show anyone that scar because you know after the after effects is worth it for me 100 and 200%. And then for you, Frank, how was it like for a man seeking to get a, a vasectomy? Google ads, bam, okay. 10 results in Berlin. And how much <laughs> was it? Did you have to pay for it? I had to pay. It was, how much around, was it? It's around between five and 600 for men. Takes 20 minutes, arranged it a month in advance. And then that fee also included two tests a month later to make sure that all the sperm cells were dead. It's like getting Botox. What a dream. Well, I, I, it was a, a bit of a nightmare, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. It was strange, you know, I wasn't doing the Charleston right after it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's certainly nothing compared to what I've heard. Women said they have to go through and, and not from the operation. It's a local anesthetic and it's gone. I was in a bad mood for a month, but I don't know if that was mm. more related to the person who was meant to be looking after me for a few weeks oh. <laughs> or to some kind of change. But yeah, it was it was fine. I guess that's a good point you make about the people that you surround yourself with can make a difference as well about your decision. Like you just don't want people there, you know, making you feel shit for making your own decision about what you do with your body. But um, yeah, what a great conversation. I think, you know, while sterilization used to be used to take people's rights away and reduce their agency, now, for the most part, it's something to, that we can use to increase our agency and the ownership of our own bodies. It's been a great conversation. What other takeaways do you think we have? I guess just this, uh, we talked a lot about reproductive labor. And so then on the one hand, there's this sterilization as a way to assert bodily autonomy and reject this expected role of, of mother. But then on the other hand, it's been something that's been developed to take away the agency of marginalized women. And so it has this kind of, this history is very linked with that. So I guess that's the kind of takeaway. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much, everyone. And for those of you who are listening, please share this podcast with people, particularly those who... Who want to uh, get their tubes tied. I mean, yeah. And like, just, you know, message us on the, um, on the Insta if you want some information about it more or some helpful hints. Get on 
uh, Reddit. Reddit is such a great resource. And next week, or the next time we have a crude podcast, we're going to be talking about something completely different. Um, and it's all about bodies, but not just your body, a bunch of bodies, a gang of bodies. So I'm looking forward to that episode. But um, yeah, thanks everyone. Thank you. Bye guys. Great day. Bye. 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 You've just been listening to Crude. If you'd like to join the conversation, follow us on Insta, crude underscore podcast, C-R-U-D-E underscore podcast, or email us on crude.berlin at gmail.com.